Hey everyone, Tom here, Alpha Metallica, back with yet another episode. This is a solo episode today. This is the concluding part of my grand history of every support band that Metallica ever had, every band that have supported Metallica. Go back and check out Volume 1, where I went from, I think it was Tank on the Bang the Head That Doesn't Bang tour, going all the way up to Days of the New, is that the name of that band? Uh, so today we're going to go from... Uh, the late 90s, uh, so the Garage Remains the Same tours where we're going to kick off. And yeah, essentially what I'm going to do is go for all the tours, not really pay as much time or attention to the festival slots. I'm talking about actual tours that the band did, bands Metallica chose to have on tour with them. And just reflect, you know, any anecdotes that I've found through the research, you know, a few interviews and stuff of people who are in the bands talking about the time with Metallica, um, point out where they went, you know, who the certain bands were. Like, we're going to get to the world magnetic tour in this episode and i think they had like 50 bands in total support them you know a lot of the times they're going to these cities like caracas or whatever or i don't think they went to paramaribo but you know in in, in south america or in slightly uncharted climates and bringing the local reinforcements to them so these are bands that i've tried to find out who they were and put some biographical context there but you know i just watched an episode of friends recently and when they talk about the wedding band and phoebe like is it carcass of a c or a k it doesn't matter they're both great and that's the problem you know you're getting bands like a band called Mad from Buenos Aires and you're looking and there's like 20 of these things so maybe some of the information is not going to be too accurate but hey this isn't a book report this is just me rifling through exploring this stuff you know i know you guys find this interesting as well uh, i've got quite a few emails on this episode that we're going to get to at the end because basically at the start of the process i asked you know if you've seen any of these bands that i mentioned or what are your experiences with people supporting metallica live and you know i've seen them twice in the span of what we're going to get to today and you know i can give first time evidence about what i thought the sets were like what i thought you know how they were received by the crowd etc what the actual you know stadia surrounding also what quality that was so um yeah people have got in touch on that front and please do metallicapod at gmail.com get in touch with me at metallicapod patreon is there so episodes like this especially episodes like this this will be this will be on the patreon for like a month before it drops on the main channel and i'm constantly doing new episodes um you know almost at the end of the run now but two a week so they're always going on there all the compilations and stuff but yeah you know if you enjoy our metallica and you want to give back that's greatly appreciated itunes as well if you can leave us a review on itunes a five-star review on itunes we will forever and ever be in the shadow of Metal Up Your Podcast in terms of charting there, because they are just juggernauts, behemoths, you know, well, I'm very much the echo brain, as I said before, of the Metallica podcast world in comparison. But if you want to help solidify that penultimate spot, you know, go onto iTunes, leave us a review, check out what people have said as well, because I was like sort of perusing podcast reviews. Uh, I think that's about it, really, you know, on Spotify or on YouTube. Yeah, all those sort of avenues. So let's get into it. Let's pick up where we left off. We're going to start with, as I said, the Garage Remains the Same tour. So this was the tour supporting Garage Inc. Uh, there were 53 shows. It ran to Mexico, South America, Europe, going from about April, late April until the end of December. You know, during this tour... This is where Metallica did some S&M type shit. Well, I say S&M. They did S&M shows that weren't, you know, on the original concert, the San Francisco one. They did one in Germany with the Babelsberger film Orchester, I think that's how I'm saying it, on November 19th, and one at Madison Square Garden with the Orchestra of St. Luke's. I haven't really gone back and listened. Like, You know, maybe I'm just a bit, my ears will be a bit primitive. I won't be able to detect any differences with the classicisms, but I would like to go back and listen to those concerts and see what the, um, you know, Maybe there were certain directions that they went in or the timbre was different. You know, l let me know. But the band here is Monster Magnet. Now, I was aware of Monster Magnet. I used to be, you know, I still am 
Um, but I used to be really into Kevin Smith films. And as I get older, I really, Clerks still holds up for me. I still think Clerks is a masterpiece. I love it. But films that I felt were deep when I was like 14, like Chasing Amy, etc. Um, and Dogma, I sort of gotta say i sort of cringe at for the most part i still love kevin smith you know he does uh fat man on batman with mark benedine and he does another show hollywood hollywood babylon with ralph garman i listen more to fat man but it's called fat man beyond now and uh you know I, I i love the dude and with monster magnet people may be aware that i think it's in Mallrats, is it or clerks um there's basically a scene where someone says tell him steve dave Tell him, Steve, Dave. And these were friends of Kevin, uh, Walter Flanagan, and Kevin... I can't really remember their names. But anyway, they had this podcast called Tell Him, Steve, Dave. And they had the main guy from Monster Magnet on. And I'd never heard of this band before. And they rarely had guests. But clearly, they were over the moon. They couldn't believe this guy was gracing the podcast. And, you know, he seemed like a really, really uh, interesting guy. So... I checked out some of their music, and, you know, it's that kind of Riff Lord sort of stuff. They were retro rock visionaries, and I'm pretty sure they spent most of the 90s struggling against, you know, the prejudices of kind of alternative rock and grunge and that sort of idea, but it was with their fourth album, Power Trip, uh, went to gold status on the strength of a giant single called Space Lord. Let's listen to Space Lord now. And yeah, you know, they were a very influential, successful band associated with the stoner rock scenes and kind of hard rock and metal, delving into kind of jam rock and space rock and psychedelia and beyond. And um, not exactly my cup of tea. Like, you know, I've been listening to a little bit in the background this morning when I'm making the notes and it's slightly kind of dirgy and repetitive, but that is the nature of the red-eyed beast, you know. So um, yeah, Monster Magnet supported the boys on the Garage Remains the Same tour. The next tour was the M2K Mini Tour. So this was just... Well, it kind of went into the new year as well, the Fantasy Eckler. So this was um, on December 28th, 1999, ran for 10 shows to January 10th, 2000, uh, including a New Year's Eve show in Pontiac, Michigan, which is in front of 50,000 people. So just to quickly look at this tour, there's a lot of big bands supporting them on here. So, um, you know, Seven Dust were there, Creed, Kid Rock, Creed supported Metallica. Creed, who I don't hate, like... You know, I know that, again, because just growing up in England, Creed are a bit of a nothing band over here. They didn't really break. I know they were absolutely ginormous in America. And I am, I think retroactively, I've appreciated Creed more and more because I am a giant Alter Bridge fan. When I say a giant, I say I worship their first three records. I mean, they just brought out a new album, and I don't know. the um, They just seem to be a bit eggy now and not as contained and you know that to always have terrible lyrics but fantastic albums nonetheless blackbird their second album is one of my favorite hard rock albums of the last two decades you know i think it's absolutely phenomenal so um yeah i've been digging back into creed and because it's march Ramonti or whatever and you know scott stapp does sound like fucking vedder and and wyland and all that you can't get away from that but yeah they were there ted nugent was there as well the nuge uh stormtrooping you know the guy i imagine him and Het 
got on like a like a fucking wilderness reserve on fire and that would bring them a lot of joy just the thought of that but uh but yeah kid rock was there as well of course and we'll see kid rock pop up in other tours this is just a little mini one i think it was more of a shared bill obviously metallica are headlining is fucking metallica but there's some big bands on top of this one the next tour i mean we're gonna kind of tackle both of these as the same thing so there was the summer sanitarium tours so one prior to say anger and one that was the kind of first thing with say anger to promote it so um these were kind of um you know sponsored by mtv and mars music and big promotional ideas there's some documentary footage out there you know we did do a episode on the kentucky speedway episode with monty who is um the full concerts 100 you know one of the great purveyors of metallica bootlegs on youtube you know we went through all that sort of stuff and that was the one where james had that accident where they had to get system of a down and corn involved and they did fuel with kid rock uh on on the uh on, on the disc scratching that and that 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 is agony i mean that, that hourly that is that that is um very unpleasant to listen to uh and these this is the final tour for uh newstead as well the first one being the final tour so they did two so they did one in 2000 and one in 2003 and it was kind of a basically kind of i guess a new metal like it shows you the new metal was still lasting three years later because it's all influenced by that type of music and that sort of genre um amongst them on there were uh power man 5000 which i pointed out on the original episode we did with monty because i'd never really heard of them but now subsequently i realize that they were on tony hawk's pro skater 2 with worlds collide let's listen to that song i'm sure you recognize it now watch yourself for you because we can't go what is it really that is in And that track is also on uh, a SmackDown vs. Raw game and in Little Nicky. And, you know, they have that kind of heavy, soft paradigm, which so many bands go through from there. Uh, they were helmed by vocalist Spider, uh, a.k.a. Michael Cummings, uh, who was the younger brother of Rob Zombie, interestingly enough. And, yeah, I think they got a kind of cult following in the early 90s, and then they were actually put onto DreamWorks as well. And as of September 2017, the last we've heard of them, they're still going. Sid Vicious in a Dress was the first single from an album called New Wave. Uh, which arrived later in October of that year. So, yeah, that was Power Man 5000, who were down the bill, you know, and uh, still pretty fucking amazing that they were on there. Uh, Linkin Park were there as well. Let's just see, actually, how this was split up. So, yeah, in 2000... We had System of Down, who were underneath Powerman 5000, that's crazy to think, uh, Kid Rock and Corn, And then 2003, we had uh, Mudvayne, Deftones, Linkin Park, and Limp Bizkit. Linkin Park, of course, Jesus Christ, they were probably as big as Metallica at that time. Isn't Hybrid Theory like the best-selling album of the 21st century? And I know maybe music wasn't selling quite the units it was in the 80s and 90s, but that is nothing to sniff at regardless. And, um, you know, I don't mind Linkin Park. I kind of lose interest really post-Meteor or when they got into this kind of not obviously they were always really heavily into anime and japanese culture and all that sort of stuff but it just felt that things were moving away from that heavier side from that kind of that that rare potent combination of rap and rock that actually worked um mainly because mike and chester have such distinct voices that real cut through and, and the guitar playing's awesome i always remember the guitar playing the music videos always has headphones on i always thought that was really gangster for some reason i don't really know why and um 
you know, yeah, Meteora, I really like. It's kind of more of the same, and um, Hybrid Theory is excellent. But the later albums, I don't, you know, there's a song here and there. And, you know, I think a few listeners actually have told me to check out uh, Thousand Suns and stuff like that. But um, never really got round to it. Don't really like Mudvayne either. Um, bit of a mystery to me. You know, they feel quite corn-esque in parts with that heavy grating that throaty bark over those dropsy dance riffs um mudvayne i'm a giant sopranos fan as i've mentioned loads of times on the show and one of my favorite things about the sopranos is aj you know tony's son if you're not aware aj is like all kids because very similitude likeness to reality such an important thing in Sopranos the regularness of life and all that sort of stuff and you know he's like a 13 14 year old in the early 2000s so of course he's a fucking new metal kid and we see loads of new metal in the show in season five AJ goes to a Mudvayne concert in New York that's the episode people won't remember where um they get really drunk in a hotel room and his friends glue his face to the floor and <laughs> shave off his eyebrows which kind of terrifies Tony and you know AJ really captured perfectly the new metal kid of that era he wears Pantera shirts and no fear um I don't know if there's any Metallica there is Metallica in Sopranos that it's played in the Bing but I don't think necessarily that AJ ever listened to them we also see a cold chamber poster in his room I noticed that on my last watch and that is some fucking Jordan Peele attention to detail right there but yeah Mudvayne were there Kind of interesting imagery as well, Juggalo, Wes Borland, hybrid, drawing from that, you know, mentally slightly unwell spring. Um, the wiki also mentions that there were British bands, uh, Darkness and Lost Prophets, but um, this may have been a mix-up with the Madly Lang of the World tour. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's basically what it was. They went out of all these bands, you know, I'm trying to explain bands you might not be aware of or whatever deftones as well deftones i have tried to get into deftones because so like dave i've had on the show many times he's a giant deftones fan you know always pushing me to listen to them and i have delved but i find them a little repetitive maybe i'm not listening closely enough um i don't find it the most enjoyable experience but again you know for me certain albums click and like i listen to it one or two times and i just can't get enough want to get into the back catalog and i have given quite a lot of attention to uh deftones but i don't know maybe they're a bit of a power man 5000 for me i'll never quite get into the uh get into the back catalog so we're getting now into the madly in anger with the world tour there were basically kind of four bands that were doing support slots on this one. So the first leg, which was in Europe um, and North America, Godsmack were there. Lost Profits were also there. Lost Profits, fuck, man. I mean, most people will be aware that Ian, Want- Ian uh, Watkins is a monster, you know, absolutely abhorrent human being i don't want to go into depths about kind of his depravity but you know he's, he's been locked away for a long long time and you know i was 14 uh, in 2006 when lost Profits were huge like they were kind of already big from you know fake sound of progress and start something and they had last summer and you, you know they're, they're welsh and they had kind of the heavy angular riffs kind of with that pop punk glaze and you know he he was front and center and um it's quite cool actually because the next band I think that Bob Rock produced after St. Anger, one of the first bands, was Lost, Lost Profits. He did Liberation Transmission, which I think was their third record. Um, I was like Town Called Apocrisy, Rooftops. I mean, that song was fucking just built to be belched out, wasn't it? What a terrible track. But um, yeah, Lost Profits were there, Slipknot were there on leg two of Europe, and the Datsuns were there. <laughs> Let's go! 
I love that Lars gets fucking goofily passionate about these bands to the point of bringing them on tour with him. He was a giant Datsuns fan. Uh, and the Datsuns, weirdly, are technically the first band that I ever saw live because the, my first ever concert was in, I think it was the 18th of January 2005. This is in Birmingham. And I saw Velvet Revolver. I saw Velvet Revolver in a half-empty kind of stadium arena. Uh, Scott was heroined out of his fucking face. Like, you know, he wasn't anywhere. Slash was kind of, like, fat and slow. And, you know, maybe I'm misremembering, but I remember it wasn't the greatest concert. But still, oh my god, they're fucking there. You know, that that was a madness to see. But the Datsuns supported. And the Datsuns, you know, are part of that wave of that kind of Australian garage rock. That kind of, you know, that kind of Vines jet idea and Lars was interviewed in the enemy and he said that uh, I also because he was basically talking about uh, the white stripes but he's saying I also quote I also love the Datsuns they showed up on my radar about a year ago and I've been a champion of theirs I've been trying to get the Datsuns for months schedule wise it hasn't worked out and I was really pissed at our booking agent because I found out they are playing at the other day of Reading than we are but the Datsuns came on there uh, on this tour on the Madly in the Angle World Tour Vader were also there. Vader are a Polish death metal band, and um, they opened for the band in Chozau, and they played at the Silesian Stadium. This was in 2004. They opened for 50,000 people. Obviously, that's kind of their, um, you know, their main uh, call, call to fame there, at least internationally. Obviously, inspired by Darth Vader. Uh, lyrical themes, according to the Wikipedia, include stories by H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, that was surprising. Uh, World War Two and horror. And apparently, according to Billboard magazine, by 2002, Vader had sold over half a million records all around the world. So, uh, yeah, who the hell are Vader? I don't really know, but Vader supported them there in Poland. Um, Godsmack, Godsmack's interesting because, uh, you know, we were just doing, um, was it Sweet Amber we were covering on the show? I think it was, and they've only played it live once or twice, and you go onto Metallica.com, and you go through the back catalogue and whatever, and often they have those Met TV uh, videos attached, which are really awesome vloggy type things, like, it's very cool what Metallica are doing now, and, you know, you're getting all these high profile, like, massively, um, you know, spack, spack, that sparkling production and you know fiddleman manned and whatever his outlaw torn over there in austria and you know hd all that good stuff but i love that behind the scenes back camera idea that more um you know candid fly on the wall approach that they took and there's a video of james and the guy from godsmack uh rehearsing sad but true where he's going to go on and perform with them i find godsmack a little derivative um not much substance on the bones it's greatly affected me beyond the standard you know i stand alone is pretty rocking but, you know, pretty standard fare, mostly, personally. Okay, so the next tour after this was the Escape from the Studio 2006 tour. Only really 16 dates on here. Avenged Sevenfold, Bullet for My Valentine, Trivium, and Tool supported. Cool to see Trivium breaking through there. I remember when Kirk rocked the Trivium shirt at Download 06, 07, because especially Trivium's third album, which I really liked, The Crusade, everyone was comparing Trivium to the, you know, how metallic they sound, which I never really heard. Everyone was like, oh, Matt Heafy's really het fielding, and it's like, well, most metal guys have that growl, you know, so um, it didn't really stick out too much for me, but, you know, they were giant fans, and I remember an interview with Matt Heafy saying, like, because he sings some impossible parts, and he plays, like, some real mind-bending stuff, and he was saying that he just started with the basics, you know, he started looking in the mirror, can I play the entirety of Sanitarium? 
you know, perfectly and sing it as well. And, uh, you know, once you've got that foundation, it doesn't take long to get much better. So, yeah, these don't really count in my eyes. I'm talking about, like, proper album album sort of tours. There was also Sick of the Studio 07, um, you know, where they played loads of festivals and stuff with crowds after numbering 60,000 people. Uh, lots of bands over there as well with the boys. Um, but these are kind of on similar bills. The next tour I want to focus on properly is an absolute beast of a fucking tour. 187 shows on the World Magnetic Tour. That's 50 more shows than the St. Anger Tour. And what they did here was slightly different, where they had a huge range, a huge ton of support acts, you know, going out with some real heavy hitters, and then some more bespoke acts, which are just tailored to European audiences. So in Dublin, Alice in Chains would play them, play with them. Uh, Avenged Sevenfold, again, you know, the boys seem to love Avenged Sevenfold. Avenged Sevenfold would come for the latest run on the Worldwide Tour. They played in Mexico City and Dublin. Uh, Baroness did quite a lot of touring with them in an October batch of a couple of weeks, and November as well, Baroness being an American heavy metal band from Savannah, Georgia. Uh, you may be familiar with their album covers, that they're all slightly different colours, and they have really good... Um, interesting if anyone knows Richard Darger it has that sort of idea rounds of the unreal uh, definitely check out that documentary Criminal supported them in Chile so yeah this is where we get into these bands where I'm like I don't really know who these bands are but um, Criminal were a, a band from Santiago that later moved to Colchester in England weirdly enough and they opened up for them on the 26th of January 2010 uh, in Bogota we had a band called Deep Trip no real info on those I could find. You know, you go into these like uh, encyclopedia Metallica, not Metallica, but you know what I mean. It's kind of it's all this metal stuff, metal history. But Carcass for Sierra K, you know, there's a lot of deep trips out there. Discord from Caracas played with them, um, whose lyrical themes include socio-political awareness and psychology. Uh, Down now, Down obviously an all-star heavy metal side project um, with. Pantera's singer Phil, um, Corrosion and Conformity, Pepper Keenan, and James's like bro bro, uh, Crowbar's guitarist is in there. Um, some other people. They were kind of got this, you know, stoned out, southern, riff-driven kind of idea. And they were on the tour, the World Magnetic Tour, for essentially the first month of the tour. That was from October 21st to November 23rd, 2018. And fittingly, on that 23rd of November show, that was in New Orleans, at the New Orleans Arena. So it's pretty cool, because obviously they're all local guys from there. Uh, Guatemala City, we had a band called Extition. Extition, I don't really know how to pronounce that, but I think that's... Uh, I don't want to be uh, too hackney with it. Uh, I kind of already am. Fear Factor. Fear Factor were on the tour a fair bit. They played from April 13th to the 25th on 2010, and also in 2010, uh, September 15th to 26th. They're a bit too industrial for my taste, to be honest with you. And, like, maybe there's another meaning for it that I just not get heard, and let me know, at Metallica Bod. I've always thought Fear Factor was a terrible name for a band. Sorry, Fear Factory. I haven't even been saying the name right. Fear Factory. It's just kind of like, oh, it's this... I mean, I know it's very industrial, and it's playing into that, that, that factorial idea there, but um, to me, it's like a factory of fear. It just it, it feels slightly garbled and um, slightly cheesy. Fear Factor, I will say, <laughs> in terms of their... Fear Factory, I keep saying. In terms of their uh, album artworks, I mean, they stuck to it all of their stuff, like, demanufacture and Digimortal, and they're all sort of the corporeal body. You know, it's very uh, Ray Kurzweil, the singularity sort of thing there. And um, doing a bit of research, I found an album called Metallic Assault, a tribute to Metallica. And this is kind of going from more of a industrial 
genre uh, in terms of the bands and their inspiration. I think Rob's on this as well. But anyway, the main guy, the main singer of Fear Factory uh, was part of a cover of Enter Sandman. And check this out. I think the solo as well is awesome. Really, really does more of a tapping thing than sticking to the skeleton. interview with Kill Your Stereo uh, of when they were on tour, Fear Factory, with the boys. This is Dino Cazares, who is clearly a sensational player, and uh, he was asked, so how's the touring going Metallica? He says, quote, it's been going great. Come on, you're playing to thousands and thousands of people, and they're really nice guys. Their whole crew and all their people treat you very well. They really know how to make you feel welcome, and they know how to support their support bands. And Kill Stereo then asked, that's good to hear. Has Metallica been a big influence on your guitar playing? Kazera said, quote, I think Metallica have had a big influence on metal music in general. You know what I mean? They were definitely an influence on me, of course. They have some amazing songs. And James Hetfield, in my opinion, is one of the greatest rhythm players. And being influenced by that in general, it's still apparent in my music today. In Dublin, there's a band called Glider. Not familiar with them. Uh, you know, I've not done research on everyone, guys, for the most part. But you appreciate the world magnetic is chock full of bands uh, Gojira very cool to see Gojira supporting them uh, they are on the September and October legs uh, and then April on the following year on 2010 that was in 2009 September October um, they uh, you know the only album of theirs that I know is Magma and it's fucking dope actually it's a juggernaut of a record check out this song Silvera <laughs> It's cool to see that Gojira are on there now. I know they've been going for a long while. Um, I'm not too familiar, ultimately, with all their stuff. But, um, you know, I do really like the band. And uh, it's cool that they were given that opportunity. In Porto Alegre, we had a band called Hibria. High on Fire were on the a couple of May dates in 2010. They are on the sixth leg. So that was the uh, Europe and Israel. They are a um, Grammy Award-winning heavy metal band, apparently. Uh, the band's founder, Matt Pike, uh, was the front man and played guitar for influential stoner metal band Sleep, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard Dope Smoker, which is just this endless sprawl of desert riffs it, it, it's brilliant i mean you know they're a bit heavier than sleep um in terms of their vocals high on fire but a little boring for me from what i digged into band called hawkus uh, h-o-r-c-a-s from buenos aires they supported the band just on that buenos aires day which is january 21st 2010 lamb of god were throughout the tour 
you know, playing shows at the end of 2008 and then coming back, you know, towards the end of 2010, also had some 2009 shows. I mean, Lamb of God, what can you say, a linchpin of the new wave of the American heavy metal movement, real uncompromising approach. Um, Mark Morton, is it, the guy on guitar? Again, I, I know a few tracks here and there, but he is an absolute killer. Love that guy. Uh, Buenos Aires, another band that called Unlian Demente. <laughs> uh, Machine Head, Machine Head were all throughout this tour as well. You know, I have mentioned this before on the show one of my nitpicks in music is similar titles i i just think there's no real excuse for that there, there, there should be no way i said this to jack chambers before i'm repeating myself i know but there should be no way that legally there is a band allowed to be called rise against and that they're so politically charged when there's a band called rage against the machine it's too close it's too close for me and i know i'm being finicky i know many of you rolling your eyes out there right now same goes for machine head machine head rob I know you love Metallica. I've heard you on a Metallica podcast, uh, Speak and Destroy, I think that was called. And you expressed, you know, just deep, <laughs> just you know, you clearly, clearly bow down to these guys. And that's self-evident. Uh, don't call your album The Blackening. We've had Blackened. Don't call it Blackening, please. And so I found this cool thing online where basically it was revealing that uh, the frontman Rob wrote an open letter for his 14-year-old self, and on that letter he revealed that he had an amazing moment with James Hetfield and Metallica, quote, You won't believe this. After releasing your sixth album, The Blackening, you'll tour Metallica and James Hetfield will ask to play one of your songs. You'll be warming up in your dressing room where there's a little electronic drum kit that your drummer Dave McLean uses to warm up. James will come in and jump on the drum kit. He will ask if you know any Metallica and you will jam a few songs. Then your bandmates will come in and you'll jam a few Iron Maiden songs. Then he'll say, let's play Aesthetics of Hate, and he's on the drums. Next thing you know, it'll be like, hey, James wants to play Aesthetics of Hate with you on stage. It will be amazing. And that went down in 2009, the 16th um, of May, at the Copy Arena in Oberhausen, Germany. Uh, so yeah, James plays it, and they jam a little Slayer in the rehearsal as well. Let, let's take a listen. song for you. Does anybody in here know how to fucking headbang? Yeah? Yeah? A couple of you. Yeah, a couple of you. Well, we're going to get a friend of ours up here to help us with this next song. His name is James Hatfield. <laughs> supported them in Cordoba. Uh, they're a hard rock band from Buenos Aires, Argentina, in Guatalajara and Monterrey. Uh, yeah, butchering so much of this, I apologize. Um, Melino supported them, uh, and they originally were a tribute band on uh, on of Black Sabbath. So Mass Hysteria also played in Nimes. We have done with Joker a recap of the whole Nimes concert, which to me is one of the all-time Metallica concerts in that Coliseum in France. And they're a French heavy metal band, apparently quite popular in their native country, uh, whose breakthrough came through in 99 with their second album, Contradictions. Um, you know, it has some real grand energy to it. It's convincing and compelling. So, uh, yeah, Mass Hysteria, interesting. Mastodon, who I worship, Mastodon featured in... Um, 
2009 mostly, though they came out for some March dates in 2010. I think these guys are some of the most creative and fearless musicians I've encountered in heavy music in a long time. They actually have riffs that don't sound like anyone else, which is so difficult in this open, chugged world. Um, I think on Metal Like Your Podcast, when I was on it, we spoke about like our top 10 favorite metal albums that aren't Metallica, and I still stand by putting Blood Mountain at number one. You know, Blood Mountain, which is their second record, maybe their third record, is just breathtaking to me every time I encounter it. And the guitar sounds so damn good. The lead lines, really, the production on that is is just indelible. You know, I really, really can't forget it. So moving forward now throughout the world magnetic tour i mean there's so many bands aren't there i missed some out as well there's a band called mopa m-o-p-a that played Nemes as well my own private alaska um who have quite a following necropsy or necropsia uh were in lima there's many necropsies on the metalarchives.com so i was trying to work out which one was which a band called o'connor played in buenos aires when they went over to israel a band called orphan land supported them which are you know in terms of my taste, I don't like anything symphonic. Like, that really kind of turns me off as an idea. It always just feels very Rick Wakeman, very very meatloaf. There's no there's no blood in the lungs, you know, when I encounter stuff like that. So, yeah, they played uh, Numa, who are a fresh metal band from San Jose. Um, they're from Costa Rica. They also supported them. Uh, they were named, I think they were chosen as the opening act along with Mastodon in the Costa Rican leg um, and in the concert uh, they had a standing ovation and more than 30,000 screaming fans. This was the biggest Costa Rica date um, ever, obviously, because Metallica come through and it's going to be that. Resorte, so there's a Spanish band. Uh, they played in, sorry, they're Mexican, excuse me, they're Mexican, but Resorte is Spanish for Spring Device. Uh, they were formed in 1995. Now, you may kind of might know these guys. Um, they supported the band in Mexico City. And they kind of came with the emergence of new metal. And it's quite cool to hear, like, Mexican new metal. Um, and, you know, Rage Against the Machine, not really new metal, but Corn and all those sort of ideas. They made an independent music video for a song, America, uh, and it became the band's anthem. And it actually fell into the hands of MTV and received cable play. And, you know, that enabled the group to play more gigs and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, here's that song, America. <laughs> They supported the band in New Mexico City. Uh, Sepultura were in Sao Paulo. Um, you know, what a giant influence they are uh, by the two brothers, two Cavalera brothers. I mean, huge force in groove metal, fresh metal, you know, in the 90s and beyond, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, you know, they're kind of credited as well as one of the second wave of fresh metal acts to come through. Uh, Burial were there as well. Um, the Sword, the Sword played throughout. The Sword being a kind of doomy retro metal four piece, I think from Austin, Texas. Um, you know, very much of that new breed. Um, and JD Cronice who was of the sword, was interviewed by Loud Magazine, and they said, you've been out with Metallica a few times. They're really choosy about who they take on tour with them. So what it's like, I've heard a lot of great things about how well they look after bands that tour with them. And he says, yeah, it's fantastic. We haven't done shows with every old school legendary heavy metal band, but we have played shows with a few of them, and they are far and away, from top to the bottom, the coolest. Metallica themselves, their crew, the entire operation. It couldn't have been cooler for us. They asked us, how much money do we need to do this tour? It wasn't a matter of, this is our offer, take it or leave it. It was, we want you on the bill. What do we need to do to make this happen? I don't know of any bands that do that. 
especially the older heavy metal bands, they're kind of cutthroat. A lot of them are kind of checked out when it comes to the current music scene, and they just don't care. They have their hits, they have their fans, whoever got their tickets regardless, and whoever goes on before them is completely irrelevant to them. But Metallica actually cared. They care that people enjoy the show from beginning to end, and they care about what's going on in the music scene. That's a rare and awesome thing. Uh, Another band called Tainted from Christchurch, who were, uh, you know, pretty big as well in their native land. Uh, Chimera as well played them. Volbeat were in the mix. Uh, You know, I know people love Volbeat, and Volbeat have played Metallica since. I, you know, again, a bit underwhelmed, that kind of symphonic Eurovision-type swag, but, you know, giant band in in their... um, Danish homeland so yeah that was the end of the world magnetic tour and there was a lot of tours kind of going on subsequently that we'll just go through so in 2011 we had the 2011 vacation tours this was the first uh, big four US shows in California and New York City uh, as well as the band's first ever show in India so Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax and Biffy Clyro were there I didn't realize Biffy were on there 2012 was the European Black Album tour so this is where the Black Album was played in reverse Uh, Gojira joined the band there the Kills oh that's cool see the Kills were there Uh, Channel Zero Mastodon as well full Arsenal tour this is where Jim Brewer first supported the band, I believe. Um, so these were kind of the shows for Through the Never and Around That Time. And, you know, um, it was the first time the, the band had two songs for the encore rather than three. And we had the stage falling apart and the Death Magnetic Coffins were coming back and stuff like that. Uh, the Orion Music Tour is kind of the summer 2013 tour where Anvil supported them. Anvil, uh, you know, immortalised in that incredible documentary, and Anvil I think I'm pretty sure Lars at the start of that talking about how much he adored them, and Thumbhang and all that, so yeah, shouts to Anvil The By Request tour, this was the kind of interactive tour where Metallica would um, you know, have people submit songs they wanted them to play, a lot of people supporting on that as well Lords of Summer Tour, so it's like, even in between the World Magnetic Tour and the Worldwide Tour, there's like five or six other tours that they do, and now we get to the Worldwide Tour which uh, is still going i guess i guess it was maybe supposed to end with the australian shows i'm not sure i know they're doing these festival shows in the summer as well but um yeah this tour as of now uh started on february 6 2016 and the australia shows have been postponed so currently it has 186 shows so far 16 legs 88 in north america 17 in latin america five in asia 68 in europe and eight in oceania and supposedly box office uh 414 million dollars right now and i'm sure that'll get more and more so uh so yeah i saw this tour um but this tour did have a lot of iterations before so there was kind of the the leg one was the warm-up shows you know, I think Cage the Elephant supported them, which is, I thought Cage the Elephant would come and gone, but for them to be supporting Metallica uh, at TNT Park in San Francisco is pretty mad. And then we have the kind of standard opening act that we saw a lot. They did do a South America leg where they hit a lot of stadiums and a lot of local local bands came down, bands like Victimize in Colombia, uh, Basca in Quito, uh, Ecuador, Metal Requiem Heresy. Then some more promo shows, like I remember when the boys came over, there were no support for these. Um, where they did the House of Vans in England, and they did the Fonda Theatre in LA. Then the Asian leg, uh, which is kind of where they, now that we're live, and they announced that, and there were a lot of live streaming ideas, and Baby Metal and Lang Lang were there. Then a few Denmark shows, and then the kind of North American eighth leg kicked off, which was the proper leg, which, you know, I know that the boys over at Metal at Your Podcast have done loads of shows on these, and, you know, a lot of you listeners have probably been to them as well. This is where we had Avenged Sevenfold and Volbeat. And let's not forget Mixmaster Mike was in the mix, throwing down records, and supposedly hated by the majority of the stadia. But, yeah, he was there as well. 
Gojira came on towards the middle of this leg as well. So from about um, July 2017, uh, you know, Gojira were on the bill as well. We then came over to Europe. So this is when I saw the band for the first time, and they bought one support band with them, who I witnessed firsthand. Cavella Track, I think they're called. Norwegian for Stranglehold. Really interesting band, actually. Um, you know, there was an owl on stage, kind of like a stuffed owl there, because I was right at the rail, and it goes dark, and people come up, and I think the owl lit up or something. Certainly the owl was donned as a cap later on. But, um... They had three guitar players, and they all sung in their native language, so you couldn't really engage with it on any kind of verbal level. But I was just into the guitar playing, and they really, you know, they didn't get into that maiden trap of having three guitar players just because, you know, we don't want to fire the guys, our best friend. Like, these actually three guitar players that were doing different things, and they were long songs as well. They were quite expansive numbers, and I've really dug them, actually. They certainly weren't a standard act to take out. And I'm pretty sure they've been with Metallica quite a while now. And, uh, you know, they really like them. Probably, again, uh, Lars just kind of being a big fan of that uh, European idea. But, yeah, Cavella track. They're, um, the album that I guess I would have listened to then would have been Natus Third, I think. But, um, yeah, again, I'm going to continue to uh, ruin all these European words with my uh, horrific Birmingham accent. So, um, so yeah, Cavella track supported there. Uh, and then also into Europe as well beyond. So, so they kind of wrapped up the year. We were finally show at the AT&T Park on November 9th, 2017. And then they started back up again on February 1st. This is the European leg with, with Cavella track again. Uh, and then Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer is their final support. So Jim Brewer... They kind of did away with normal support. They got him into more of, um, you know, a jovial, doing his stand-up game show host sort of role. I've not actually seen any footage of it. Apparently it went on for quite a while. Um, but I would like to see some raw, uncut stuff. I know a lot of people were just a bit, you know, cringing out at it slightly. But apparently it was quite good. And obviously all the boys love Jim. And uh, it gives it a different thing. But it's fucking Metallica. You know what I mean? They're kind of almost... Not, it doesn't matter who's supporting them. It could be anyone. It could be one of those Bogotan bands. And uh, people would still be going wild. So, um... Then finally, sorry, I mean, there was a Jim Brewer, but then, yeah, finally, the European leg where I saw the boys again, uh, I saw them at Twickenham Stadium on June 20th of this year, uh, Ghost and Bacassa were there. Bacassa I kind of missed. Bacassa, you know, I was um, I was hanging out with The Fridge, uh, who's who's been on the show before, Joe Haddock, and we did, like, Dirty Window and stuff like that. He was there. And then Ghost, I you know, I just, I don't like Ghost. I know people dig Ghost. Um, I find Ghost a bit naff, personally. And, you know, it's nothing against them, whatever. I know a lot of people love Ghost. I understand that. But, uh, yeah, just nothing's really stuck with me to it. Again, I don't like that symphonic. I don't like that Eurovision. I don't like that gloss, that glaze. And they're kind of dripping in that. So, uh, yeah, it's a no from me. And there was going to be Slipknot shows. And there is still going to be... Um, the South America shows with Greta Van Fleet. Um, but yeah, Slipknot was supposed to be there. I mean, these were supposed to be going on now. So it's quite funny. I'm recording this on uh, the 27th of October. So if it all would have went to plan yesterday, it would have been Sydney. And in two days, it would have been in Brisbane. But, um, you know, I'm sure those will be rescheduled. And then there is upcoming uh, the North American festival shows as well, which again you know not really support bands per se in that it's kind of who what bills they're playing on whatever but that's still really really cool and Greta Van Fleet who I mean they what can you say they are very derivative aren't they and just kind of I don't know I, I'm not one of these guys who's like oh it's ripping off Zeppelin blah blah because because Zeppelin are the worst for it they ripped off everyone so it's kind of you know the blind leading the blind there but um, yeah, nothing's really kind of moved me to a certain level. I don't mind the guy's voice, but yeah, it's just, it, it's okay. It's okay, Greta Van Fleet. But it's nice that people are getting excited about rock again. And that's a big, 
big opportunity for them to go over to uh, South America and open up those shows, and I'm sure they'll do great. I'm sure the crowds will be very, very receptive. So, um, yeah, guys, that's about it, really, in terms of looking back on these bands. But as I did say, and I do want people to get in touch again, because I'll read this out in future episodes. Have you seen the bands? Uh, I mentioned any support bands I mentioned. What was your experience in that mode? And, uh, yeah, let's get on to, finally, just a quick bit of fan feedback on that. So, Aurelian... Um, who, you know, great friend of the show, always have really fun episodes. Patron says, I've only seen Metallica in festivals, but for one of them, it was a one-day event, and Metallica chose the opening acts. I don't know if these bands are eligible for your episode. Well, I'll allow. I appreciate the uh, paragraphs, though. He said, it was the Wrecker Boutique on the 28th of May, 2012. The opening bands were Ghost Gojira, Channel Zero, a Belgian metal band, Mastodon, and Soundgarden. There was nothing very specific about these bands, except the fact that they faced an unusual crowd. The first circle was only accessible with VIP tickets, and you could tell that these tickets have been bought essentially by Metallica fans that did not care about the other bands because they only showed up for Metallica, meaning the opening acts played in front of an almost empty first circle surrounded by an overcrowded second ring. It was kind of frustrating for us in the second ring, and probably for the opening bands to witness such an empty space in front of the stage. Mastodon was stellar, in my opinion, but I'm a fan, meaning that I'm probably biased. Uh, Ralph gets in touch, as always, Ralph says, so I've seen them quite in quite a few eras on many different tours. My first show in April 1992 at the Meadowlands Arena in New Jersey, there was no opener at all. They played a 20 to 30 minute documentary, which I mentioned before, about the band, and also some snippets of them live backstage. Later, in the summer 92, on the tour with Guns at the Giant Stadium, Ralph, I still can't believe you saw the fucking Metallica Guns tour, at Giant stadium i believe the opener was faith no more who got about 45 minutes as far as i can remember they were pretty awesome just to note this is a show that a fan hit axel square in the nuts of a lighter and they ended early because he threw a tantrum in 94 i saw metallica on the shit hits the sheds tour at the garden state arts center openers were candlebox dancing and suicidal tendencies possibly fight but i can't remember them performing at my show Candlebox was pretty forgettable, but Danzig and ST were absolutely phenomenal. A highlight for me was when Mike Muir ran into the crowd and I was able to high-five him. I remember being completely awestruck after that because I touched a punk crossover legend. So more to come later, starting with Paul retouring me in 1998. So Ralph returns for part two. So here's part two. The openings for Paul retouring me in 98 at the Blossom Music Center were Days of the New, which, yeah, we've got into, Ralph says, Think Alice in Chains acoustic rip-off, which overall weren't too bad, but I could do without them. And Jerry Cantrell, who was on the road in of his solo stuff, which wasn't bad, but still wasn't Alice in Chains. The opener for the Madly in the World, the opener for the Madly in Anger with the World Tour in Cleveland at the Gund Arena on the 9th, uh, sorry, on the 21st of September 2004 with Godsmack, who was fine, but nothing really to write home about, as they were rather stock metal band whose songs all kind of sound the same. Yeah, I definitely agree. On the 15th of October 2009, during the World Magnetic Tour, I saw Gojira and Lamb of God open for the boys. I absolutely love Gojira, and they were fantastic. Lamb of God would be great, except I can't get past Randy's box. I saw the boys three times uh, thus far on the Worldwide Tour. At Rock and the Range in Columbus in, in Map Free Stadium, there was basically no opener as it was a festival. Volbeat did play before them, but their set was cut short to a thunderstorm, which worked great for my wife and I as we were able to better procure seats by remaining in the stands during the storm. Crazy, yes. Worth it though for the seats. Brewer opened for them in Cleveland and Pittsburgh along with Joe Sib, who DJed well. Jim was quite funny even the second time around and seemed to be the perfect fit for the gig. I really dig his act. It keeps it very metal. My nine-year-old daughter, I talked to her first Metallica show, even liked his comedy. 
Jason says, I've seen a few support bands from Metallica. Godsmack opened the St. Anger US tour. And while I'm nowhere near a fan of the band, I did enjoy the drum duel that the singer and drummer had. Pretty nice of Metallica to let an opening band have two drum sets on stage and let them do what they want. I saw Gojira open for them in Dallas in 2009. What a fiery set those guys put on. Also, that same show, Lamb of God, was direct support with Doc Coyle from Bad Walls and, God forbid, filling in for Mark Morton on guitar. He did a perfect job. But someone was heckling him and he was visibly upset and started taunting back. The other Lamb of God guys held him back and calmed him down. Damn. Other than that, over the years, Jesus, so many. Corrosion of Conformity was a great opener during the Load era and the Summer Sanitarium Tour with Deftones, Mudvayne, Linkin Park and Limp Bizkit was perfect for the time and unique as hell. Cheers. No. Thank you so much for that, Jason. That was a great one. Um, uh, Ivan saying, uh, I saw them with Sword and Down opening back in 2008. The Sword were one of the hottest metal bands back in the day with a distinct garage sound, they called them. Hipster metal, for some reason. What a great band. Too bad they broke up a couple of years ago. Frankly, I went to the show to see Down because at that point in my life, I didn't care much about Metallica, although I must say they blew me away live. As far as Down is concerned, I consider them one of the greatest bands ever, and they were in their best lineup. Phil Anselmo, Pepper Keenan, Kirk Winstein, Rex Brown, and Jimmy Bauer. Every individual is such a legend in his own right. What a super band. Unfortunately, this being a stadium event, you had a lot of these mass type of fans, the type of Metallica fans that I describe as not listening to music apart from Metallica. So the audience was quite lukewarm. There were some absurd characters, such as a woman on high heels, complaining that someone is stepping on her feet, as if they'd never been to a rock concert before. One reason I detest going to stadiums and festivals. I guess I'll stick to enjoying that. Uh, I guess I'm stuck to enjoying bands that didn't make it big, but... I guess I'll stick to enjoying bands that didn't make it big, but are able to create a nice communal and fun atmosphere in a club. Thank you, Ivan. And finally, just got an email here from uh, Neil. He says, Hi, Tom. Regarding the support band episode, I've seen the band four times. The first time was on the Weather We... Hi, Tom. Regarding the support band episode, I've seen the band four times. The first time was on the Wherever I'm... Fuck me. Hi, Tom. Regarding the support band episode, I've seen the band four times. The first time was on the Wherever We May Roam tour with no support in 1992 at the Glasgow SECC. Then Donington in 95 with Slayer, Skid Row, White Zombie, etc. 96 at the Glasgow Barrowlands with Corrosion and Conformity. And most recently, the Manchester Arena with Cavella Track. It's suicidal tendencies I want to talk about, though. They're the very first band I ever saw. My first gig was Clash of the Titans in Edinburgh in 1990, which was Slayer, Megadeth, Testament, and Suicidal. Suicidal are one of my favourite bands ever, on a par Metallica in terms the metal genre as my two favourite bands, although obviously they have a more skate punk vibe. I've never actually seen them for since reason for ver- since for various reasons. Uh, I've never actually seen them since for various reasons, but I will definitely be there when they eventually make it back over to the UK. Their late 80s to late 90s output when they were basically a metal band is flawless. Such an underrated band, and obviously they gave us Rob. My mate Kev and I decided to go over to the US for the joint tour with Guns N' Roses. We were about 17, but it never happened for a few reasons, mainly financial. When the tour with Suicidal was announced, we promised ourselves this time we would do all we could do and get it to our dream lineup. But again, money just got in the way, the optimism of youth. Keep up with the good work with the podcast. Only started listening recently, and I'm only on B, but I thought I'd listen to a few newer ones as I won't be able to interact by then as you'll be finished the run. Cheers, Neil. Thank you, Neil. That was great. And again, guys, please, I mean, listen to the quality of all those correspondences. Thank you again, guys. Love that. Loved reading those. Um, Get in touch with me on future Alpha Telegram episodes. Maybe I'll just do one of its own. Maybe I'll just tack it onto an interview or a song review or something. Who have you seen? Who have you seen support the bands? Because we've got a widespread of there. Uh, what did you think? And um, yeah, get in touch with me, metallicapod at gmail.com, at metallicapod. As always, guys, support us on Patreon, iTunes. Let me know what you want me to do next. 
in terms of like solo episodes um i was thinking about maybe doing an episode on like all the childhoods of the boys like the, the early years so like from when maybe just before they get to high school or something just exploring that dimension because there's a lot of stuff in so what and the biographies and you know they, they've done lots of interviews themselves already about this sort of stuff it'd be nice to collect that but if you've got any other ideas if you want to cop on and review a show or do a top five or whatever alpha Talica is going to keep on keeping on and uh thank you as always for listening again support us at patreon itunes get in touch me at metallicapod metallicapod at gmail.com yeah this has been tom i mean obviously check out volume one of this as well uh we'll be back next week as we always are to discuss this band and much more but yeah until then this has been tom thanks for listening bye